Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short interactive fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. Today's guest is Cheryl Tan, Europe-based journalist and author of Sarong Party Girls, as well as A Tiger in the Kitchen, a memoir of food and family, both of which were international bestsellers. New York Magazine named Tiger one of the top 25 must-read food memoirs of all time. She's also the editor of the fiction anthology Singapore Noir. Cheryl was a staff writer at the Wall Street Journal, InStyle Magazine, and the Baltimore Sun. Her stories have also appeared in the New York Times, the Paris Review, the Washington Post, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, and the Singapore Strait Times, among other places. In 2012, she was a recipient of a major arts creation grant from the National Arts Council of Singapore in support of her novel. Cheryl spoke with Asia Society Hong Kong Executive Director Alice Mong from her hotel room while under government-mandated quarantine for the following interview. I want to thank Cheryl for joining us. Cheryl Tan, author and also journalist. And, uh, and this is uh, Asia Society Hong Kong's podcast on Mover and Shakers. And Cheryl, tell us more about what you're doing right now and tell us about your, your you know, where you are right now. That, I find that's a very interesting starting point. Oh, well, thank you for having me on, Alice. Um, well, right now I speak to you from a hotel room on Sentosa Island in Singapore um, because I arrived from New York just last week and um, and the Singapore government has this new quarantine uh, policy where all travelers from New York, uh, from, the, from the U.S. and the U.K. have to be quarantined in a hotel for two weeks. So I am in a room. Uh, I am not allowed to leave it for two weeks. Uh, thankfully, I have a view of a nice pool um, and, uh, and they bring me meals three times a day. And um, and I'm, I'm I, I, if I even try to go to the vending machine, I'm I'm quite sure I will be penalized or wrestled to the ground. <laughs> so I haven't tried that yet. Yet, I mean, I'm not going to try it. <laughs> um, but um, I am based in New York, but I'm Singaporean, and uh, my whole family lives in Singapore. My sister lives in Hong Kong, actually, and um, and I I have lived in the states for twenty something years. I left for college. Uh, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a writer, and I sort of looked around and I thought, okay, well, how can I persuade my parents to let me be a writer? And I figured out that if I could find a way that I could tell them that I could become a writer and have a paycheck, they would let me do it. And um, so I said, oh, how about journalism? So I made them, I persuaded them, and finally they said, okay, fine, you can be a journalist for a few years, and then you're going to go to law school. Um, and I said, well, you're sure, fine, but I knew I was never going to go. Uh, and I went to the States, became a journalist, and I loved it so much, and, um, and I've just been there this whole time. And then at some point, um, I started writing books, and so now I write books and I freelance. Great. And you were talking about your parents' influence on you, but one of the things that I'm also curious about is, who are some of the other influencers besides your parents? Uh, was there a teacher or a friend or a mentor? Because uh, what made you decide that you want to be a writer? I mean, was there a like light bulb, a, a book you read, or or what 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 inspired you? Um, I was a voracious reader from when I was very very young. Uh, so my mother. Um, taught me to read as soon as she could, and I just blew through all the Enid Blyton books. 
And um, I've read every single, and if, if you look up her entire bibliography, it's very extensive. I read every single thing she wrote. And she was a massive influence on me at that age um, because her books just brought, were so transporting. Um, I especially love the Enchanted, uh, Enchanted Forest series where these kids who are in wartime England and they're sent to the, the countryside and they're bored and uh, the whole world is going to bits. And, um, and they discover this magical tree that has elves and pixies and different worlds in it. And I just remember reading that book and thinking how wonderful it would be to have this magical ability to sort of transport people from their daily lives into this these worlds that you can create and just sort of dream up and they're real and um and so i knew from like age four or five that i that i really that this was what i really wanted to do um i remember when i was about five or six i wrote my very first um short story <laughs> and it was really two paragraphs and uh, i remember i showed it to my mother and she was very upset she said who who told you this story because it was some very strange story about a, a woman who um who thought that who was in a supermarket and then she started to feel unwell and then all of a sudden this baby just dropped out of her and she didn't even know she was pregnant and i remember my mother at the time was very alarmed because she was convinced that some adult had told me this random story and i said no 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 i made it up and she didn't quite believe me but I figured out from that point that I probably was going to be a writer of some sort. Um, and that's what I really wanted to do. So it was really books that really brought me to this world and brought me to my career and made me realize that there was this bigger world out there. Um, you know, I read as much as I could. Um, I read Ann Tyler from a very early age. Um, you know, I read uh, I read everything, you know, Shakespeare, poetry. Um, and to me and Jane Austen, I love Jane Austen when I was very young. I was going to ask you about yeah. Jane Austen because... <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm reading the book, and I, I'm a big Jane, Jane Austen fan, having uh, gone to England, and we followed the footpath of Jane Austen, where she was born, where she died, and everything. And went, all halfway through the book, I was like, hey, there's something about this book. And then later on, I read a review. Somebody compared this book to Emma. And, <laughs> but I was thinking more along the line, of, a bit of private and prejudice. A bit, I mean, it was like the character of Jazzy in, in, the, in, in, in her search of her, you know, her, 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 her goal reminded me it, it, there was a, a Jane Austen element to it. So how old were you when you first read Jane, Jane, Jane Austen? I'm trying to remember. I think it was in my, um, I was, I was my early teens, very early teens. Um, it was, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in school. And, uh, and I just remember it was, it was, it was just, this whole new world. I it was just wonderful. Um, you know, but even before that, I remember when I was, a, when I was very young, my family used to pool their library cards and my mother would take me to the library once a week and we would, we would check out the maximum number of cards that four library cards could get. And they were all for me <laughs> because I would I'd blow through so many books like each week. So it was this, it was a time of like every week I would just look forward to going to the library every weekend. I was the, I was that big of nerd. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad you are because I think you're right now really bringing a lot of, I mean, I think uh, a lot of pleasure. Um, uh, and right now for me, the escape, I mean, the reading, um, it's because of what's happening around the world, first with the U.S. election and now with, with what's happening with COVID-19. I find the book is such a great way of um, not just escape, but just, you know, a, a different reality. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> But I think one of the things you mentioned, you know, uh, you ended up uh, going to school in the States and then um, uh, and ended up staying there and becoming a journalist and all that. Um, but one of the questions I'm curious, that in your career, uh, what has been most important to you? Do you think has been EQ or IQ um, that has gotten you to where you are? I mean, changing from, you know, a very uh, a different environment in Singapore and then ending up in, in the U.S., for as long as you have and having a successful career, 
mm-hmm. um, EQIQ or both that has helped you? Well, I think you would definitely have to have both. But in the in the job that I've had, um, EQ is definitely hugely important because as a journalist, especially, you know, you have to have the main the huge thing I, I found that you have to really have is empathy because you really have to sort of connect with people. You know, you you, you can't have that arrogance of believing that you'll walk up to anybody and they will tell you your life story or they'll answer your questions. I mean, that's not just not going to happen. And, you know, the best journalists are the ones who actually sit down and listen and understand and, and want to tell the real story, not the story that they came in believing that they should tell. And so to me, like that's been the most important thing, you know, just sort of knowing, being humble enough to know that you don't understand everything going in and you want to connect with people and try to find the truth. And so that to me has been sort of the, what's guided me throughout my journalism career. But then also in books, um, you know, I, you know, in writing books, I've written both fiction and nonfiction. And my first uh, book was uh, about my my aunties, my grandmother, my mother, and cooking with them in the kitchen. And, you know, definitely I needed to employ everything I had to connect with them and to try to extract their stories um, because they were these very traditional women who didn't like to talk about themselves. And all of a sudden there I was in their kitchens trying to poke about their business. And they were used to being like, every time I would ask them a question, they'd be like, oh, go ask your uncle, go ask your dad. Like, you know, they know the answers. And I'm like, no, I want to hear your story. So, so I find that, you know, that really has to be, that, that's really been the big thing that's guided me in both journalism and in book writing as well. Well, yes. So a lot of it is listening and, and like you said, empathy. And, and that is something, those are the qualities I think we need more of these days. Um, but ha- can you also talk about some of the maybe failures uh, that maybe you have really later on kind of set you up for success or things, uh, failures that maybe you've learned from? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not always smooth sailing, right? You, you know, uh, there are obstacles along the way. So maybe some of the lessons that you, you've learned from some of your the failures. Yeah. Well, I have to say that that my um, book career launched because of what I, at the time, at first thought was a colossal failure. And my parents were panicked, of course. It was the first time I'd had something really bad happen in my career. And uh, so this was in 2009. And, and, um, you know, and sort of the, and the economy was not doing well. I was working at the Wall Street Journal. I had been hired away from InStyle Magazine to work at the Wall Street Journal uh, as part of this luxury goods uh, spending team where we were covering the women who spend like, you know, $15,000 on handbags and, and uh, you know, $800, like $500 on face creams. And, um, and so at the time, uh, I remember I was getting really burnt out. I had been in journalism full time for 12, over 12 years, and I'd been covering fashion for many, many years. Um, and I loved covering it because it was such a circus. There were so many characters, such drama, but also such a big business. Uh, you know, so it was a big, it was a big story for the Wall Street Journal. And um, I remember at the time I was feeling really burnt out. And um, I was, I realized what it was, um, was that I was getting tired of people being surrounded by people who actively didn't eat. And I'm a really big eater. I love, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I come from a family and a culture that really prizes that. You know, Singapore is very much about eating. And um, so the longer I was surrounded by people who, you know, I would go to these best restaurants in New York with them and they would just sort of push around a pile of leaves. I'd be like, what kind of life is this? <laughs> but also, I was starting to cook in my own kitchen at the time. And I realized that I had spent my whole life rejecting my the women in my family. I had said to them, you know, when I was a kid, I'm not going to learn how to cook. I'm not going to do any of this because I'm going to have a career. Um, And they were like, okay, fine. But then when I was in my 30s, I realized that I didn't know how to make anything that my grandmothers made or my aunties. 
And that was this big gaping hole in my life. So I decided to take a break. I came home for Chinese New Year. It was right before Fashion Week. Um, and I told um, I told my boss, I said, I don't know, I'm going to go cook with my aunties. Like, maybe I'll write a story about it. And so I went and I begged my aunties to let me into their kitchen. And we spent a weekend making my late grandmother's pineapple tarts. Um, we, we make every Chinese New Year still because even though she died over 30 years ago, um, like people still love them. So anyway, so I made these tarts with them and they told me all these amazing stories about my grandmother. And at the end, they said, you know, we have all her recipes. We cooked with her. If you want to come back, you know, just come back. And I said, how can I do that? Like, you know, the, the recession just happened. Uh, it's the biggest story at the Wall Street Journal. Um, and so I went back, I wrote the essay, and a book editor called me from Penguin and said, let's turn this into a book. And I met with her and I said, I'm sorry, but this is just not the right time. The recession just happened. It's a big story. If I leave my job now, when I have this big story to cover, I'm not going to be able to come back. And so I told her that. I said no. And then two days later, my entire team was called into an office and there was a stack of envelopes. And I, I was like, OK, we're getting laid off. And so they said, well, you know, we want you to stay like, you know, there are other everyone should apply to all these jobs. Maybe you can cover banking. You can cover this. And I thought, OK, I could stay and cover banking or I could try and write this book. And by the time I left that office and I went back to my desk, I'd pretty much decided I'm going to try and write this book. And so that was very serendipitous because I had already told the editor no. Um, and then this happened. So I honestly, you know, as much as I wanted to write books when I was a child, I would not have jumped off that cliff. I had to be pushed off that cliff in order to actually launch my book career. So I'm I'm really glad that um, I failed. So I failed in that area because it ended up creating this whole new path for me that uh, I'm on and very, very happily so. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, but then I think um, that leap, you know, jumping off and and. Um, but it sounds like you're right now pursuing your passion, right? And and and, and it's 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 great to, you know, you have the, the the journalism career now. You can and for me, I've always been interested in stories. You know, before um, coming back to Hong Kong, I ran the Museum of Chinese in America, and I think we were in Hong New York by the same time. And it's always I'm always curious about the stories behind the scenes and what you said about your 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 um, aunties and, and you know I hear from my 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 dad. My dad is a um, a chef and we had restaurants and it's 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 the stories behind it that kind of gives you this texture which sometimes we're so busy living our lives that we, we forget so but one of the things that I also now want to ask you is really um, right now uh, <laughs> considering you're in confinement in Singapore uh, is there any fear um, you know in terms of short term or long term you you've taken that leap um, uh, and I don't know about your family but it's like there was no paycheck, uh, you know, uh, about, you know, uh, working with a, with an institution like a Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. But uh, then and now, are there fears, uh, short term or long term, um, that, that you, you know, you, you may have? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the short term, of course, I'm worried about the economy and how, and how long it's going to take to bounce back. Um, and so that, you know, th that I worry about. And I worry about how the book industry is going to be because it was already, it's always sort of massively in trouble and who knows what's going to happen by the time I finish my book. But, you know, what I've learned is it's important to have fear, but the right kind of fear, you know, like I could sit here and be paralyzed about, oh my God, like I'm so worried about my book. Like, should I, why bother finishing it? If like, who knows if I can sell it at the end of it? I mean, that's not constructive fear. The fear that I like to have, and I think it's important is a very Singaporean characteristic. It's, um, 
it's it's a it's called we call it kiasu, which yeah, means right. you're afraid to lose. Right. And that's the kind of fear that I embrace. You know, like you if you if you you know you you shouldn't be afraid to 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 just uh, you know about whether your your book's going to sell. You should be afraid that it's not going to be the number one bestseller in the world <laughs> or something like that. Um, I'm not quite explaining it right, but you know I think that what you should um what you should always have is this this fear that makes you want to compete against yourself all the time and like you know that you know your next book always has to be better than your last um and that's what i always think about when i sit down to write so you know in terms of the short term i do worry about the economy i do worry about everything um you know in the long term um you know my fears are much more um much more personal in a sense you know like i i worry that you know i have a long list of books i want to write you know i i want to have be as healthy for as long as i can be so i can write them and be scribbling on my deathbed uh, you know so that that's the kind of long-term fear i have but in terms of i in terms of fear of uh of livelihood and everything i've i've i have, have to say i've been very fortunate in the sense of um, I have, I've always had a very good team of people around me. I have a wonderful agent. I've loved the editors I've worked with. Um, I, and you know, I, 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 I've always had the sense, um, because of my team that if you build it, they will come. And so I, I always have this, you know, sense of, I don't have a fear of not, of my work, not seeing light of day. It's, it's more like just how soon can I finish? So I feel very fortunate that way. Also, I have a very big support system in my family. And I, you know, I know you asked, um, you know, who the people who inspired me who are not my family, but my family is actually very unconventional. And they inspired me in all sorts of ways that a traditional Singaporean Chinese family wouldn't have. Uh, when I was growing up, my mother, my aunties, um, even my grandmother, they were very rebellious when they were younger. And they sort of imparted that to me. Uh, and then they like to complain about it when I was rebellious. Because, like, like, where did you think I learned that from? <laughs> um, and my father um, always taught me to question every single thing. And he was always, you know, just sort of, he was, um, you know, when I was growing up, like he, when I was, you know, when, when he had me, um, he would like to say, you're the firstborn of the firstborn son of the firstborn son and whatever. And, but he had two daughters. So he basically looked at me and said, okay, you're it. And he raised me like he would a son, essentially. And he just sort of, you know, taught me to question everything, to be bold and to be brave and just to do whatever I want. Um, and when I was a kid, actually, my dad lived in Hong Kong and uh, he worked in Hong Kong and I lived in Singapore and we would spend school holidays in Hong Kong. And so Hong Kong is actually a very magical place for me. Um, and um, my dad and I would write letters throughout my childhood. And in these letters, it wasn't like he, he didn't write to me like he did write to me like he was my dad, like, you know, don't forget to practice the piano or listen to your mother and things like that. But he also wrote to me as a friend. So we ended up, I ended up confiding him in him about like, you know, my fears about schoolwork and like friends and things like that. And um, he ended up being just sort of giving me all sorts of life advice in those letters, which are so precious to me um, that I still keep. And, you know, that were just sort of that just sort of taught me about this greater world out there and just sort of being a great citizen of the world and going against the grain and just trying to be independent and um, and just do the things that I want in life. Oh, that's great. I think one of the things that we we really um, uh, in fact, uh, a couple of years ago, Asia Society Honor uh, Malala uh, uh, for our game changer. And I think Malala said the same thing about her, her father. And you know, without her father, I think she, it's, it's like, also I, I look at my own father. I think, you know, we sometimes don't give them, our parents enough credit for for being there for us. And uh, so I'm glad to hear that. Um, 
But then, you know, even when I was reading the book, and I just kept on thinking in my mind, this would be a really good Netflix. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because right now, I've asked Daniel Day Kim this when uh, I was at Sundance um, for Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and part of my, for me, is really seeing... Um, my book club, we've been reading a lot of books by, uh, by Asian or Asian American authors. And it's just been fascinating, the, the writing and the, and the story behind it. And it just, uh, and, and I can see right now with the things like Amazon Prime, Netflix, content. And of course, you know, oh, we're talking about Singapore, you know, Crazy Rich Asian, what Kevin Kwan has done. But in terms of stories, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that I could see some of what you're writing turn into um, and, and to to some sort of uh, a film or, or 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 series, so that a greater audience, a bigger audience, somebody, you know, not everybody, you know, I love reading. I think I rediscover reading uh, because of what's going on around the world today. But I still think visually, I um, I can definitely see some of the work. And this is where I kind of also see your success in that. There is another possible channel. I hope you will. <laughs> well, I hope so too. We've had some interest in uh, from from some very good TV people, um, you know. But you know, Hollywood is this mystery to me. Uh, so I'm just sort of like, yeah, it's fun, you know, being courted. But I, it's like I don't really know how the whole thing works. So um, if something happens, I will, I will, I will definitely tell you about it. Um, you know, so you oh, know, please. we'll see what happens. I would. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, just because I also, you know, uh, before I was working, you know, in New York as a Chinese American, I'm always looking for, um, you know, um, role models and, and and writers who are, you know, um, just just a bit of our voices, uh, you know. And, and you write so beautifully, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you capture the, the the story. I mean, because I think uh, because of you know, again, crazy relation, you, the other side of the Singapore story. You, uh, and uh, and also Asia. I think part of what uh, for me about Asia Society Hong Kong, or we're really interested in talking about Asia today. Um, mm-hmm. Asian writers, um, the, the the stories of Asia, mm-hmm. which traditionally and, and actually I wouldn't even worry about Hollywood. I'm actually thinking, you know, if there are Asian filmmakers, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know if you saw Farewell with yeah, yeah, and it's like I, I'm I'm more cu- interested in in some of these even independent filmmakers. To have some of these um, uh, work come to life, that would be something that I would love to see. I I would love for it to happen. Um, If you want to give Daniel Lake my book, feel free. (laughs) I will. I will. (laughs) Now that we're on first name basis, but you know what? And that's one of the questions I did ask him at Sundance was that you know he went from uh, uh, Hawaiian Five O and then uh, producing started producing uh, the Good Doctor, which I love the series. Mm-hmm. And and that was from a, a Korean uh, series. Mm-hmm. So so I think you know right now it seems to me there are enough of these um, uh, Asian uh, people in the arts in the, in the whether it's the, the creative industry that I feel like if there are ways that Asia Society or Asia Society Hong Kong can help um, connect the dots, I know that, that we would love we would yeah. love to be part. Of. Um, but right now, um, I'm going to, you know, we, we are already 20 minutes into it oh, and just okay. kind of end it with some questions about um, book recommendations. Uh, you must read a lot uh, still, right? And, and, and I also see from your Facebook, you're also doing a lot of like uh, residencies and workshops and so on. Um, so what books are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading a, a range of books right now. I'm trying to look at what I have. Um, I'm reading... Uh, 
um, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. I love his work. He's so amazing. Um, I'm reading the latest Louise Erdrich book. Um, I, I think she's a wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, I've, I've loved everything of hers I've read. The Roundhouse, which she won the National Book Award in the U.S. for, um, made me cry. I cried so much in the first. And, and you know, if you're, I think you, you asked for books for younger readers. The protagonist in that book is a, is a very young boy, a 10-year-old boy, and, it's, and he sees this sort of injustice that's happened on this reservation through, you see the story unfold through his eyes. It's a wonderful book. Um, and I'm also reading... Um, Let's see. I'm also reading the new uh, Sally Rooney's first novel. Um, and also I'm, re oh, I'm reading this wonderful book uh, called The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. Um, and it's it's uh, it's very dystopian. Um, it's, you know, set on this island and like people just start to kind of disappear. And um, and it's, it's fascinating. I would highly recommend it. And there's also there's a book I, I have and I haven't uh, started reading it yet, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, Starling Days by Rowan Hiseo Buchanan. She's a, a Chinese, Japanese, British, American writer <laughs> who lives in London. And um, and it's about sort of love and uh, and depression and Japanese beer. And <laughs> And um, I hear very good things about it. Great. Okay. I, I'm going to uh, recommend that to my book club. Part of the fun is now uh, I have to say um, before I definitely just read um, nonfiction. I love biographies. But now rediscovering uh, um, uh, fiction has been just, it's been great. So those these are books and we're going to kind of recommend to some of my uh, my. Friends. I want to add like one more book. The a book that I loved, um, and I, I still keep recommending it, um, is uh, is Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. Uh, it came out two years ago, and uh, and all these people put it on their best of the year list, The New Yorker, everything. And it's about this woman. I, I love books that are about characters, especially Asian, female Asian characters who don't do the thing that everybody expects them to do. And this is a woman who works as a convenience store woman, and she's just sort of bucking this Japanese expectation that she gets married and blah 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 and she's just sort of quietly brave and doing all of it and I love those kinds of stories um you know so I I would highly recommend that and along that same line I you know I love Fumiko Enchi um Masks is her classic um and also um you know yeah like it, it, it's a it's, it's just wonderful I highly recommend it well I now all the books you're talking about reminds me last year we co-hosted with the uh, Hong Kong International Lit Fest and had a really wonderful um, uh, a festival. Asia Society was a venue for quite a few of the books, a few of the authors. And and if they, I don't know what's going to happen with this year with what's going on with COVID-19, but if they do the Lift Fest again, uh, definitely want to, I kind of recommend you and, and some of the books that you mentioned, um, because the festival has been really a great addition uh, mm -hmm. to the programs that we've been doing at the Asia Society. And we had uh, David Sedaris uh, in oh. town, in, in, in uh, I think right before everything happened around January, and so so I think the the, the community here would really love to welcome you back mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, and hear from from you again. Mm -hmm. um, but now I just kind of one of the last question really is um, well last two questions, but uh, the the final advice that you would give to your younger self, uh, you know, now that you you kind of like. Uh, experience uh, uh recommending your younger self at 15 25 what <laughs> would you say to to a younger cheryl uh, 
I would say, I mean, my advice to all of them, and probably even myself yesterday, <laughs> is, uh, you know, don't don't doubt yourself so much. And I feel, you know, many people do. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, especially, you know, I I, I found, uh, you know, growing up. Um, in a very traditional uh, Asian family, traditional Chinese family, I, I felt like the the women tended to be uh, to be somehow have ingrained in them a little bit to doubt themselves, and so it it took me a long time to sort of break out of that, um, and uh, and I, I still have to sort of remind myself that you know you know, you can do this, you got this, um, and uh, and you know and and I remember being 15, being 25, and having the same feeling like you know, I, I really want to do this in life. Like, can I do it? Will I be able to do it? You know, what are the paths that I can take to help me achieve my goals? Um, you know, I want to be a writer. Like, can I ever get there? How will I get there? Um, and, and you know, to some degree, I think having a certain level of self-doubt is important to feel, to feel everything. Um, right. You have to be afraid to lose in a way. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, it doesn't help you at all if you lie awake at night thinking about like, am I going to fail? Am I going to fail? So I would say that's what I would tell myself. Um, you know, just don't doubt yourself. You got this. Like, it's going to happen. You just have to work really hard to make it happen. Great. Well, the last question um, is part of our um, 30th anniversary questions. What I said it, it's uh, for people like um, some of the speakers uh, who are from the West. The question I ask is your first trip to China or Asia. But in your case, I want to ask about um, your first trip to the States uh, when you arrived, your first impressions, uh, and, you know, scared, excited. What, what was your first impression when you arrived in the States as a, to study? How old were you, and, and what was the feeling like that, that first trip uh, when you landed, in the, in the, in, I guess, in the States? Um, well, when I went there for college, uh, when I went there for college or the first time I ever went to the States? Um, well, uh, both. I mean, okay. well, maybe college, I mean, maybe okay. either. So okay. your first trip to, to, to okay, my, I'll do it. I'll, I'll tell you short, briefly about my first trip, which is kind of strange because my first trip to the States was actually this like five or six week trip when I was 11. And my dad had just had a very minor stroke. And it sort of like woke him up to like, oh, my God, I haven't spent that much time with my kids. And so he immediately took us out of school. Uh, it was near the December holidays anyway. And we took us on this like five or six week like whirlwind tour of the States. We went everywhere. We went to Hawaii. We went we spent Christmas in New Jersey with distant relatives. We went to New York. Um, you know, we went to Vegas. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, and it was this magical trip that actually really opened my eyes. And after that was when I realized I was like, I really want to study here because this world was so different from anything I'd grown up with. And I saw all these people um, when I remember in that Christmas when I spent um, that Christmas in Montclair, New Jersey, and and just sort of watching how my distant relatives, girls who were younger than I was, were so confident in their lives and just sort of conquering the world. And I thought, well, you don't really see that in Asia. And so in some ways, like that sort of, I sort of thought, okay, well, if I want to conquer the world, I'm going to have to go to the States. So when I was 11, I realized that. <laughs> and so from that point on, I realized that I wanted to go to school in the States. And so, but when I first arrived, though, the reality of it was terrifying because this was back when I was in the first year at, at Northwestern that got email. But it didn't matter that I had emailed. None of my friends and my family had it in Singapore. Um, and so I couldn't email them. And I remember it was like 70 cents a minute to call home. And uh, even though my parents were like, call home anytime, we, we still needed it once a week. <laughs> and so it was very, very isolating, which when I look back now, I'm grateful for because it was a very immersive experience. Um, there were only 10 Singaporeans, grad and undergrad, at my college 
um, at the time. So you really, really had to assimilate right away. And, um, and so that became, it was a very um, confusing, but also very lonely experience. Um, and I remember my father took me and dropped me off at school and we both cried like crazy. And, um, and, you know, he, it was unspoken that obviously if I wanted to go home with him, I could, you know, be like, well, screw this. Like, you know, just, I'm just, I'm just going to go home and go to NUS, National University of Singapore. Um, but he never once said that, you know, come home. He said, you know, and he left me the most beautiful letter before he left. And it was basically, you know, like, you're so brave. Um, and, you know, whatever you need, we're always here for you. And he, I remember he said, I'm always as far as the telephone. So whenever you miss me, you just look at the telephone. You know you can call me, and I'm always there. And um, that was the biggest thing for me. And because I knew that I wanted to do this, but I was I knew what the price was right away because I'm very close to my family. And so every single day that I was in school, um, I thought about my family, and I thought about what I was sacrificing just to just physically be there and try to be a journalist. And I thought, I better make this worth it. I better be the best journalist that I can be. And so that was really that was really the thing. So I was like a maniac in school. I remember like orientation week, I walked into the placement office and said, I want to apply for internships. And they said, come back in a year. And I refused to do that. So I, I was this maniac in school that just wanted to just sort of I was one of those annoying students, basically. So, um, but I, I, I thought, you know, if I'm going to be here, I need to make the most of it, and so I did. I tried. Well, okay. Well, how was your first winter in Evanston? <laughs> I mean, you can't. It's, it, you know, Northwestern Chicago, that area. It's, it's the temperature is quite different than uh, Singapore. Uh, Singapore. <laughs> I mean, how did you adjust? Oh, it was terrible. I remember and it was the winter that I was there was the coldest winter that anybody could remember for over 10 years. It was so cold that there was one day, the, uh, it, it, it was so, the wind chill was so horrific that all the schools in Indiana and Illinois closed, but Northwestern is private. So they said, we can't close. Like your parents going to complain. So they had a bus take us from building to building because they said, if your skin is exposed to the wind for more than like a minute, you'll get immediate frostbite. It was horrible. anyway, so it was bad. But what happened was at the time, I remember I would walk, I would still walk along the lake front to go to the computer center because we didn't, we didn't have computers in our rooms at the time. <laughs> And some Singaporean somewhere in the world had created this rudimentary website and put up like 10 pictures of, of Singaporean food, like chicken rice and like, you know, and roti prata. And I would walk all the way in the, in the snow just to log on to this website and just look at these pictures. <laughs> and that was such a great comfort to me. And then I would just walk back in the snow and think about that food. <laughs> a true Singaporean. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. No, no, I, I, I'm so thankful for, for our conversation because uh, when I went to Evanston, um, I was there for uh, about two weeks. So we, uh, for my uh, MBA, we had did a live-in. And uh, so it was beautiful summer, August, uh, and it was, uh, yeah. So I, I know also growing up in the Midwest, um, how cold uh, that part of, of the world is during that time. And that's one of the reasons I'm back in Asia. Uh, to be honest, but 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 you survived it, and it sounds like um, you know you are where you are today because of 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 the the education and all that. But I'm really grateful. Thank you for for um, speaking with me, and uh, and I look forward to have you know welcome you back anytime uh, uh, to to be with us because um, you know. And, but tell me before we close, you know, what are you working on now? Are you uh, working on a next book, next project? Uh, tell yeah. us more about that. 
Yeah, I'm working on another novel. It's also set in Singapore. Um, you know, and you know, for the foreseeable future, the the next several books that I want to work on, they're all set in Singapore. So, um, you know, I I find Singapore endlessly fascinating, um, and I I miss it when I'm in when I'm in the states. Um, some of my Singaporean friends think that I became more Singaporean when I've left, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I guess when you when you miss it more, that's when you sort of feel it more acutely. But um, so you know, I, I even when I sit in New York, I, I think about Singapore a lot. I write about it a lot. And uh, my next novel is set there. It's another satirical, dark novel, um, but funny. And you know, so we'll see. I, I will share everything when I can. Great, great. We look forward to. to, and to thank you for uh, having me. Well, thank you. Well, good luck. Uh, only a few days left, and. Yeah. Uh, and you will be out of the woods and yeah. enjoying the, the, the comfort of, of, you know, all the great food uh, that your family's getting ready for you. And uh, but, uh, but good luck with everything. And thank you for spending for talking with me. I really, really enjoy. Um, uh, and I really look forward to reading your next book. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Cheryl. All right.